Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast, brought to you by HarperCollins Publishers. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Welcome to another episode of Editors Unedited on the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Hilary Swanson, an editor at Harper One. We focus on nonfiction books from inspirational thought leaders and change makers publishing books for the world we want to live in. My list focuses primarily on amplifying the voices of courageous women who are shaking things up and pushing our culture forward, which brings me to the author joining me today, Shannon Watts, who wrote the forthcoming book, Fight Like a Mother, How a Grassroots Movement Took on the Gun Lobby, and Why Women Will Change the World. Shannon, welcome. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So, Shannon, if you don't mind, I'd love to read a bio about you for anyone who is not already familiar with you and your work. Shannon Watts is the founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, the leading force for gun violence prevention. It has chapters in all 50 states and a powerful grassroots network of mothers and others that have successfully affected change at the local, state, and national level. In 2013, Moms Demand Action partnered with Mayors Against Illegal Guns to form Every Town for Gun Safety, a nationwide movement of millions of Americans working together to end the epidemic of gun violence. Shannon is an active board member of Emerge America, one of the nation's leading organizations for recruiting and training women to run for office. Her writing has appeared in Vogue, Refinery29, Time, The Washington Post, the Hill, and others. She is a mother of five. So, Shannon, um, I'm very excited to talk about Fight Like a Mother. And I, you know, can give uh, the gist of, of this wonderful, very unique, very inspiring book, which essentially tells, you know, your story of how you went from a, you know, stay-at-home mom to the quote-unquote NRA's worst nightmare. <laughs> What has, you know, what started as a simple Facebook group to connect with other frustrated parents in the wake of the tragic shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary has grown into Moms Demand Action, which has been behind, you know, huge successes, especially as of late um, in passing gun safety laws and electing gun sense candidates. And then, you know, the book also explains why moms actually have the perfect skill set to be activists. And it offers lots of inspiration for anyone else who wants to make a difference. And I will brag about the incredible support um, that your book has already received. You know, we have a foreword from Julianne Moore and praise from uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Michael Bloomberg, Congresswoman Lucy McBath, Cecile Richards, Chelsea Clinton, Soledad O'Brien, Sophia Bush, Olivia Munn. Governor of Rhode Island, Gina Raimondo, Katie Couric, Deborah Messing, the list goes on. So, Shannon, I want to start off by asking you, what are some of the creative ways that Moms Demand Action has challenged the gun lobby? And can you describe a few of the accomplishments that you are like most proud of? Sure. 
I think that moms are incredibly creative because we have to figure out how to be both activists, but also do all the things we need to get done in a day. And that includes watching what our children are doing. And so that was really what we brought to this work right away. When I started Moms Demand Action, it was because I had looked online for something and it was mostly um, male-run think tanks, um, but there wasn't this grassroots army of women across the country that could come together. And I knew that if we did do this work, we would have to make allowances for creative ways to, for example, manage our kids while also being activists. And the very first campaign we did was something where we just used sidewalk chalk to ask our lawmakers um, to vote the right way in Mansion Toomey. And moms and their kids were doing this all over the country and sharing photos of it. And it was sort of the first inkling of how we would evolve. Um, We once did a campaign early on where we had Uh, moms and their kids do valentines and send them and again pressuring congress to vote the right way on a bill Um, we've had lemonade stands Um, we've done tons of craft projects i will tell you i'm the least crafty person you've ever met (laughs) Um, but that 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 create that creativity has even become part of our brand Uh, we see competitions between Moms Demand Action chapters of who can have the largest, most creative letters in parades. I mean, at this point, you can see them from the moon. Um, (laughs) They bling their buttons, their Moms Demand Action buttons. We had a gun violence survivor who wanted a cape. And so a Moms Demand Action volunteer made her this amazing personalized cape with just the most beautiful sewing on it. And she wears it to every single event. So creativity is certainly a part of this. Kids are certainly a big part of this. Um, And I do think that ability to think outside the box, to bring new and different ways to approach this issue is why we've been so successful. And you asked about some of the wins that we've had. Mm -hmm. Over the last five years, something uh, something I'm most proud of is the fact that we have passed laws in 28 states and Washington, D.C. that disarm domestic abusers. So these are states where um, stalkers or dating partners convicted of misdemeanor domestic violence could still get guns. These are states where laws did not have enough teeth in them to remove guns away from domestic abusers, the guns they already owned before they were convicted. Mm -hmm. And so we go back into these states and put teeth in those laws. And we know we're saving lives. The data and the research show that. Um, So I'm incredibly proud of that. I'm very proud of all the states that we've passed background checks in. At this point, it's 21. Um, We're getting close to at least half of the country, but more than half of all Americans, because of our work, now live in states that require a background check on every gun sale. Um, Something that a lot of people don't realize is how much defense we play. So you celebrate the wins, and it's very exciting to pass stronger laws, but we are able to stop hundreds of bad gun bills every single state session, state legislative session. And we have a 90% track record of killing bills like guns in K-12 through schools, permitless carry, stand your ground, um, guns on college campuses. So those are huge wins too. I could probably do this entire podcast about what I see as our wins, but those are some of the very specific ones we celebrate. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a second one. I would love, let's just, (laughs) let's take a whole hour. (laughs) So what do you hope that readers will learn from your book? When I started Moms Demand Action, I went online and I thought, surely someone has written a manual about how to do this. I was feeling really overwhelmed because not just 
leading the volunteers, which is huge and time consuming in itself, trying to coordinate them and get them all on the same page. Um, But also the social media component of it is a whole new twist to activism. I always think, how in the world did Mothers Against Drunk Driving do this in the 80s? Like, did they pick up the phone, their rotary dial phone, and just, like, right. call each other and say, hey, go to the state house," Or did they send letters? I, I have no idea how that worked and how they were so successful despite not having social media. Right. But for us, it's, it's both a blessing and a curse because it helps us be effective. But then when people leave the organization or they're angry or there's a dispute, you know, managing that in itself is a whole separate issue. So I looked for something online. I couldn't find anything. And what I wanted this book to include were how ways that I did this with the help of other volunteers and all of the challenges we faced and how people can overcome those. Mm. Um, I learned by trial and error, but there are a lot of things that can be done a lot easier when you've done them and you know, oh, this is how you handle that. For example, with social media putting very simple guidelines in there about this is how we act as a brand online. This is how we talk to one another. This is how we treat one another. This is how we um, go about discussing any kinds of issues we have, preferably offline. So my book includes all of those kind of the tips that I've learned learned along the way, what I did correctly, but what I wish I had done differently too. Mm -hmm. Great. Yes. One thing that I love um, is, you know, when you talk about social media and uh, your evolution. And um, I'm sure anyone who follows you on Twitter now sees you as a pro. Um, And if you don't follow Shannon on Twitter, I highly recommend. Um, But that, uh, you know, it has given you uh, a voice. And I think it also has the potential to give a lot of other moms or librarians or anyone um, that that power to to be heard in ways that were never available before. I think that's right. And and, you know, I'm a middle aged woman. um, And what I've learned is that we are essentially invisible in this culture, particularly to media and to the gatekeepers that matter. And then imagine being a woman of color um, who is who is marginalized and isn't given the megaphone that she should be given to talk about these issues, which, by the way, mostly impact city centers. So I had about 23,000 followers before the 2016 presidential election. And I decided then, after that election, when I realized that women's lives were going to be so at risk because of the gun lobbies essential, essentially winning the the presidency, that I was going to just say what I wanted to say and not follow the talking points I'd been following. And my followers increased exponentially. And the other great thing about that, now that I have over 300,000 followers on Twitter, is that I don't have to wait for media to give me a call. I don't have to wait for men who run podcasts or um, any kind of outlet to decide they're interested in what I have to say. I can just say it. And often it gets picked up or it creates a story. Um, And I can speak directly to our volunteers. I can speak directly to our thought leaders. And it's, it's also, like most social media, a blessing and a curse to be on Twitter because it also has its share of trolls and death threats and angry people. But I think the benefits outweigh the risks. And you handle that very well in the book and and give people that roadmap of um, how to navigate the good and the bad. So, you know, 
I would say this could be a controversial statement, but <laughs> both moms and librarians might not have the most uh, intimidating, tough reputation. But one of the things I love about the book is how it describes these moments in which you or other Moms Demand Action volunteers and supporters have gone, you know, toe to toe with the NRA and have stood them down, really. And I would love for you to talk about a time when you or your colleagues had to face something scary and and how you handled it. Yeah, there have been so many different incidences um, for myself and for volunteers across the country. One that stands out actually happened in a library. Uh, Our volunteers were having a meeting in Kentucky and our Ohio volunteers just across the border had come in for this too. And in Kentucky, you can open carry and concealed carry. And for those of you who don't know, open carry means you can openly wear a semi-automatic rifle or a handgun on your person so that it's visible to others. Um, And you can do that in public buildings in Kentucky. That's the law. So we decided to have a, a meeting in the library there. And lo and behold, these gun extremists had found out about it. They show up. I think there's about a dozen of them. And they're open carrying handguns. And our volunteers say, and I talk about this in the book, at first they panicked and they thought, okay, should we shut this meeting down? What should we do? And then they realized that's exactly what these gun extremists wanted. And almost all of them stayed. And not only did they have a back and forth and a pretty good conversation with them, they ended up uh, forcing them to pose for pictures with them, (laughs) holding signs and, and, and having pins on. So is such a valuable lesson, I think, that people are going to try to intimidate you and silence you online or in person. And the more you push back and stand up and refuse to sit down, the more likely you are to be successful. And, and they go away. They become white noise. That's what we have learned over the last six years. Amazing. Amazing. I love that so much. So moms are in fear of school shootings and are hearing about lockdown drills and just saying, you know, enough is enough. Libraries are also public spaces that are vulnerable to gun violence. So what advice do you have for librarians who are concerned about keeping themselves and the kids in their libraries safe? This is a great question and it's twofold. The first is, um, and in the book I talk about this at length, what can you do to make sure that kids feel comfortable in this environment of mass shootings, especially when a shooting tragedy does occur that makes the national news and kids may internalize it. You may not even know that they are feeling anxious or depressed. Um, And so it's really important to have those conversations. And I explain how to do that in the book. The other piece of it is to get involved. I mean, there is no solution to this crisis that doesn't involve everyone within the sound of my voice getting off the sidelines. That's just the way it is. Um, Over 100 Americans are shot and killed every day in this country by homicide or suicide or unintentional shootings. That's about 36,000 Americans every single year. This is a crisis, and it really will take everyone's voice, including educators and librarians and people who have such incredible credibility in their communities, like thought leaders and and librarians and teachers and police officers and and the medical community. Mm -hmm. It's so important that they all get off the sidelines and tell their lawmakers at a state and federal level that they want change. And that's what lawmakers are elected to do, to protect their constituents, not gun manufacturers. Right. They just have to be heard. They they have to demand it. 
Yeah, that's something I think is a very interesting parallel um, is, you know, we're talking about schools and and libraries and which are just so central to their, their pillars of their community. And they really embody something that you and that demand, Moms Demand Action embody, which is the power of local and the power of starting in your community and how something small can really grow into something large. I mean, if, if you aren't the perfect representation of that, I don't know what is. Um, and, you know, in the beginning stages, um, did you have that? larger goal in mind or were you much more um, just playing it by ear? You know, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing or what I was getting into. I was, as you mentioned, a stay-at-home mom of five, even though I'd been in the corporate world before that. I knew nothing about my state's gun policies. I knew nothing about federal gun policies. I knew nothing about activism. I really hadn't been politically active. I'd never signed a petition or um, really gotten involved passionately in any issue. But for me, the Sandy Hook school shooting was the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, did I think starting this Facebook page would turn into the largest grassroots movement in the country, let alone the largest gun violence prevention movement? Absolutely not. And it's good that you don't know these things because you might not do them because right. you would be terrified. <laughs> right. Um, certainly, if someone had said to me, this involves public speaking, I would have been like, I'm, I'm out. But Thankfully, um, you know, along the way, what happens is, and I talk about this in the book, you find your soul sisters. You know, everything that I lacked in terms of my own skill set, I was able to find in a perfect stranger who wanted to help me every step of the way. And that's been kind of amazing to me. You know, I can remember in the early days, all these trolls would get on the Facebook page and mock gun violence survivors, which you can't let that stand. So you have to delete them all. And it's hugely, it was hugely time consuming for me. And I can remember actually crying on the floor of my closet. And I looked at my phone and a woman had called me and she said, hey, I noticed you have all these trolls on your Facebook page. Um, I'm disabled. I live right down the street from you. I live in Indianapolis. Why don't you give me this job? And she spent years, 24 hours a day, deleting trolls from our Facebook pages. So if you find your tribe, if you find your soul sisters, you can do anything. And I never would have thought that I could do this, but I could because I had these women who had my back the whole way. And it's new generations. All the people who are with us now aren't necessarily the same people who started with us. But if you're open to receiving help and if you're open to getting involved in an issue with your entire heart and soul, something that you're so passionate about, you will be successful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean... A thing that is echoed throughout the book is just this idea of if you want something done, you know, ask a busy mom, obviously, but also that, you know, activism, when it's coming from a place of love and protecting your children and everyone's children, um, the motivation and the willpower and the hours, it just happens because that's far more powerful than the money from the gun lobby or the vitriol from the NRA. Um, And it's a really empowering message. 
and also just that it can happen in this in this way in which you know as you say you're building the plane as you as you fly it um and i think that helps people who may be a little uh hesitant to get involved with something because they don't know where to begin this whole concept of building the plane as you fly it can you explain to us what that means i think it's just a metaphor for don't wait until you have everything together, all your ducks in a row, to get started on something. I knew nothing about gun policy. I knew nothing about organizing. Um, I only knew that I was a really angry mom who wanted the gun violence to stop. And if I had waited until I understood everything there was to know about gun policy, which I still don't. Um, If I had waited until I learned about organizing, if I had waited until the moment was right for me personally, this never would have happened. And I think it's so important to remember, and especially for women, because I think many of us are perfectionists or afraid of making a mistake in public, that we don't have to be perfect and that our passion will carry us through and that it's okay to make mistakes. I have made so many mistakes along the way. I mean, that's why I was able to write a book. (laughs) But I've made really big mistakes, mistakes that I thought might impact the organization or me personally. And yet we survive. Um, I don't think men always have that same fear or even regret when a mistake is made. And so building the plane as you fly it is really about not waiting for the perfect moment or to have all your ducks in a row. Just get started. Um, And so, you know, you've done this with your work uh, through Moms Demand Action. And then here you are, you took on something else that you had never done before, which is write a book. (laughs) And I would love for you to talk a little bit about that experience and, um, you know, building that plane as you flew it and and perhaps what your favorite part of it was or least favorite, whichever you prefer. So I had been thinking about writing a book. I'd actually gone back to graduate school in my spare time um, to get get my MFA. And it's actually what I thought I was going to end up being was a journalist. It's why I went to college. And so I was excited about writing a book um, when this whole process began. But I quickly realized how incredibly daunting it is to write a book. Um, It is just such a huge commitment. I had to delve back into all of my emails and memory banks and have conversations with other people to remember everything that had happened. So I got it correct. Um, And so that part was both interesting and fun, but also incredibly laborious. Um, And and I I would describe writing a book that way. And the whole process that you go through to make sure that it makes sense and that it reads well and the editing, um, I have a love-hate relationship with. (laughs) Uh, I loved it. And also it was really difficult. But, you know, as we sit here, I've just wrapped up reading the the audio book. And it was just such an overwhelming feeling because I was reading the words that were written and reading the story and remembering all of it. Um, And it was really the first time I was able to sort of just bask in that feeling of success that this had been done, this had been written, and our volunteers are so excited to read this and see themselves reflected in the pages. And that's really what this is all about at the end of the day. This is about every volunteer who's ever been with Moms Demand Action or will be, or any woman 
who wants to start something, I don't care if it's a very small idea in your neighborhood or an idea that will change the world. You know, this book, I really do think, gives you a roadmap. Absolutely. I'm so glad you had that opportunity to do the audio recording. And I do, um, from from what I hear from authors, it is quite a trip uh, to have it uh, come back to you in that way and to experience your book that you have become so close to, um, and yet you can't see the forest for the trees. That's exactly how it is. That's a great definition and explanation. That's right. Yes. Um, so, and I'm just so excited for you now as we gear up for the book to go out into the world um, to continue to giving birth. To do all this. It's, giving it's birth. like every mother knows this was a labor of love. Mm-hmm. That well, and you got a, a bit more pushing to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm just so excited and. Um, I know that, you know, you are an inspiration to so many women. And I'm curious who inspires you and who keeps who keeps you going. You know, gun violence survivors inspire me. And I've had a lot of survivors say to me, oh, it's really the people who haven't been impacted by this who are heroic because they're getting involved in this and they don't have to. I actually feel the opposite. It's I'm doing this for somewhat selfish reasons. I want to protect my family and my community. But people who've already been impacted by gun violence, um, just that they would still be able to take their pain and turn it into purpose to protect others from feeling that same pain. It's like, it's just, it's heroic. And it's, um, it's so selfless. And I also think it reminds us why we do this work. Because when you hear the stories of gun violence survivors, you know, Today would be the birthday of Ana Marquez Green, uh, Nelba Green's daughter, who was shot and killed at the Sandy Hook School. And, you know, I, that was the first thing I thought about when I woke up this morning was that Ana should be turning 13. And I think every day those stories of gun violence, whether it's a school shooting or a mass shooting or a suicide or a homicide, all of them remind us that this is a crisis in this country. And we just can't afford to stay silent. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you for writing this book. And I just could not be prouder of it. I can't wait for the rest of the world to enjoy what I have been incredibly moved by. And uh, thank you all for listening. And be sure to check out Fight Like a Mother, which is available May 28th. Thank you.